Are you ready to be fed this morning? We're ready to, to see what God's gonna say to us. Um, the title of my message is, Are You Ready? And I'm gonna talk about four insurance policies. Now, insurance isn't always exciting to talk about. Just like when you do your will or your trust, there are things in life that we deal with, that we talk about that are so important, but often we put them aside and we don't necessarily focus on them. But I wanna bring them to light this morning and talk about four insurance policies. This subject is very new and fresh for me because a week ago yesterday, we got a call. Now, we live in New York City. We have a tiny apartment up there. We live with our twin daughters there, very small apartment that we rent, but we have a permanent home in Raleigh, North Carolina. That's kind of our mothership church. It's planted over 65 churches around the world, and so we've always kind of had a, a home base there. So Ron and I had been there for a week last week. We left on Saturday morning, um, got a few things in order, and flew back to uh, New York City, and at three o'clock in the afternoon, we got a call from our neighbor. He was very nervous and very upset, and he said, Ron, Ron, I was grilling on my front driveway, and sparks and embers flew from my grill over to your yard. Your front yard is in flames. Your backyard is in flames. And it just hit your back grilling deck. And it's all in flames. I've got a picture to show you here of what it looked like when that fire began to rage at our home. And one of our neighbors was driving by. It went over immediately. It was, his, it was truly wildfire. It burned up the entire front yard, went around the side, and, and it obliterated the backyard as well. You could see a picture of our Grilling deck, here is what it looked like. Um, completely incinerated the grill. A year ago, we decided to move from a propane tank to a, to a different method of getting it. Praise God, we would have had an explosion. I wanna point out something there, though, on that uh, back deck. Do you see that, what looks like a line? Crazy line. The bloodline of Jesus put a stop to the fire put a stop to the fire. If you'll show the next photo, this is now, this week they cleared out the whole deck. And if you look right there, there's a door going in. Two feet from the door, the angels of God put a bloodline there. If that flame, nobody can explain it. Everybody's like, what's the deal with the line? Nobody can explain it. If it would have gone into that door there on our back porch, the entire house would have been in flames. And that's why I wanna to talk to you about insurance policies. Because insurance is what we do as Christians. It's what Jesus tells us to do to get ready for what's to come. We're so glad we had good insurance. We're glad that our neighbor was honest. He told the fire chief exactly what happened. But we're really, really glad all week long that we're working with our insurance company because now we declare that when this is all said and done, we're gonna get back more than we lost. That's how it is with the people of God. Ron said he's done a lot of insurance claims over the years and not one time has he not come out ahead. I don't know who he needs to hear that. You may be going through something traumatic right now. You keep declaring that God is gonna recompense you, that God is gonna redeem everything that the enemy tries to take from us. And we know that God put his protective angels around our house. We, we just were shocked at that line. That line is a sign and it's a testimony. So I wanna talk about these four insurance policies that we do as Christians. If you study the Gospels in particular where Jesus is talking to his disciples over and over and over again, he tells them what's to come. 
He tells him he's gonna die. He tells him this is what the kingdom's gonna be like. He talks about the 10 virgins. Some were ready, some weren't. He talks about the need to be ready for what's going to come. It's going to be tough. You're gonna hear about wars and rumors of wars. We're hearing about that, but we're not afraid. Why? Because we've got insurance policies in place. Here's the first one. And a couple of these are gonna sound very basic, but we need them. And we're reminding ourselves that this morning. The first is, the number one insurance policy is prayer. We pray. Now, of course, we talk about that in church that we pray, but I'm going to challenge you. What I've been challenging myself this year is every year of my life, I want my prayer life to go to a new level. It's just like in my, every year in my marriage, I want my intimacy in my marriage, the closeness, the community to go to a new level. That's what I want. I'm not content. And uh, that is what God wants for us. But how do we do that? Do we just hope that we get a better prayer life? Or do we press in and actually cultivate more prayer? Prayer is so essential to the Christian life. Jesus, it says, often went to lonely places to pray. If the Son of God, who knew it all, knew why he was here, had it, had, was sinless, and yet battling what we do on the earth, if he needed to go to pray, then you and I need to go and pray. And what do I mean by going and praying? Oftentimes, it's more than just praying over our meal or a quick prayer. We got to make time and create sacred places for prayer. I grew up in a family where my sweet mother, my mom and dad are here this morning. They're 84 years old. My mother would be walking around our home. It's one of my clearest memories of growing up in this household. And I would always hear her praying under her breath. She was folding clothes. She was praying. She was cooking in the kitchen. She was praying. Yesterday morning, we were drinking coffee in her living room. She was praying. That is the lifestyle of prayer that I want, and it takes cultivation. We, it's a conversation with God. Again, these are such basic principles of being a Christian, but so often, the enemy will do everything he can to keep us from prayer. So prayer is talking to God. My dad, I know that at, at probably about 4.30 every morning, he's out in his neighborhood walking, but my dad doesn't just walk, he prays. He prays for every single child, every grandchild by name. He, and when we're praying and conversing with God, we listen back. What is, what is the sense we're getting? What is it that we're feeling in our spirit? That's God showing us how to continue to pray. My dad told me this morning that as he's been praying for Ukraine, he's been sensing, he said, but I just prayed that there would be chaos in the camp. I pray that they wouldn't know what they're doing and that God would just frustrate the armies of Russia. Then I get this from my husband this morning by text, and I want to read it to encourage you, those of you who are praying for Ukraine. Listen to this. He said, Ron wrote me this. He said, from a pastor in Ukraine, this is the pastor saying this, please tell your people, because of their prayers, God really is fighting our battles. The rockets they fired disappear in the air without reaching our homes, and no one even knows where the rockets go. The enemy tanks run out of fuel. Russian troops get lost and ask our locals for food and for directions. It's unreal. That is the hand of God, because we are dealing with the second strongest army in the world, meaning Russia. And this morning, Kiev and other major cities are still free. And we live in Lviv, and we did not even have to run into the basements. That's what prayer does. Don't we need to see signs sometimes? If you've been praying for something long and hard, ask God to give you a sign. 
Years and years, some of you know my story, I waited to find my wonderful husband. I mean, I got married at 42, and I would be so discouraged at times. I would say, Lord, just give me a sign today. Just give me a nugget of encouragement every time he gave me a sign and encouragement. That's how we stay encouraged. We cultivate a conversation with God. Oral Roberts used to always say, pray in the spirit and then listen and interpret it back to yourself. It takes faith to do that. It always feels awkward when I regularly write down in my journal what I think God's speaking to me. But the older I get, the more I know. That's how the Lord works. So keep praying. Pray for new dimensions of your prayer life. I love what Brother Lawrence says. Brother Lawrence, uh, great book, if you wanna practice the presence of God, that's the name of the book. And it's, he talks about learning as a potato peeler, as a cook in the kitchen, how to incorporate prayer as just his regular experience. Not when he was in his prayer closet, but when he was standing and peeling potatoes. That helps me when I'm standing and doing laundry or when I've changed a bunch of dirty diapers or whether I'm, where I'm, I'm exhausted and wondering where is the presence of God and we practice it and it comes in. And here's what, what Brother Lawrence says. I love this line. He says, I've abandoned all particular forms of devotion and all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry... I carry on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. Isn't that beautiful? The attention, turning our attention. In a world that will demand our attention at every turn, we find our sacred places. What's your sacred place? Where do you go to meet with God? I go on a run in Central Park. There are 10,000 people that use Central Park every day, but it's just me and Jesus when I'm running. I don't, t I don't listen to, to podcasts. I don't like to even run with friends because that is my holy place. I don't know what it is about running, but I meet with God when I run. Where do you most love to meet with God? When I was young, just learning to drive at 16, I remember thinking, I'm gonna turn off the radio and I'm gonna just practice listening to God. Just practice, it's so simple. It's so simple, but it will come back to bear. There will be times in your life where you will be desperate to hear from God. And that's why we do the insurance policy number two. We read the Bible every day. Every day. Every day we read the Bible. Not once a week, not just in church, not when it happens to pop up on our word of the day from the Bible app, which is great, but we proactively Interact with the Bible and the scriptures every day. It is our insurance policy. Does the word pour out of your mouth naturally when you're facing trials? If it doesn't, then just start reading it more. Read the Bible. My friend Mark Green, founder of Mardell Christian Office and Supply, where they sell lots and lots of Bibles. Every time he sends you an email, he will sign it. Mark Green, this book is alive. It's an alive book. It's not just literature. It's not just something that, that is a mind training. It is supernatural power in your life. And when we consume the word of God, you can, you can do it through audio. You can do it through reading. You can do it any number of ways. Find your method, but put that word of God in your life every single day. I've been reading the Bible my whole life, and I still get surprised. Fresh, fresh, fresh. One of my friends at ORU was working with me a number of years ago and trying to get a little bit more healthy. I was in my early 20s and I thought, I really want to build for the future. And she told me as far as diet goes, she said, you know, so many people worry about taking everything out of their diet. She said, I'm more about pulling in healthy things. She said, 
here's the, the phrase to remember, Lynette, five alive. Five alive. She said, if you will eat five alive things a day, your body will come alive. I said, well, what's a live thing? She said, well, you know how some things you set on your counter, and if you leave them there a day or two, they change? Like a banana turns brown, an apple turns brown, a cucumber will start to change and shrivel a little bit. She said, those things are alive. That's why they're changing. There's things that are active. You know how when you put a candy bar on your counter? <laughs> you could save that candy bar for your grandkids because it will still be alive and well in its form 50 years from now. So the point is, I just decided, okay, I'm gonna start eating five alive things. And for me, I was busy working, had a career all these years. I decided I'm just gonna take five alive things and shove them in a blender, have a smoothie every day. So for the last 35 years, I've been having smoothies. If you come over to my home at between like 11 and 12 in the morning, I'm gonna offer you a smoothie. Because that's, that's how I get my five alive. Just shove them all in, put on the button, and there you go. Drink it in less than five minutes. Here's the thing though. When I offer most people smoothies, they'll tell me, ugh, I never have liked the texture or the taste. Is... And the other day, someone, I offered them a smoothie and that person said that. And when he left, I said to Ron, you know, it's so interesting because in my 35 years of having smoothies, I don't think I've ever really stopped to pay attention to whether I like the taste or texture because I need it in my body, and when you know you need the word of God, I don't sit around going, oh, did I feel the Holy Spirit today? Do I have a taste for the scripture today? I'm just so hungry for God's word. There are times when I am, but I have to cultivate that thing, and I'm gonna put the word of God in my body because it's gonna come alive in the moment that I need it. I was going through years of infertility, and it was tough, and it was long, and it was strenuous, and it was years of tears. I married Ron and we decided to try for our own children and I had a miscarriage and I thought I'd get pregnant again and now I'm dealing with years of infertility and I remember specifically one night when my wonderful, amazing fertility doctor who was gonna help me get pregnant told me how bad it really was. It was bad. Rampant endometriosis, all kinds of things I'd never known and I'm coming back from that appointment that day and I'm standing in my bathroom my little apartment in New York City and tears are pouring down my face. And I am just desperate. And I am mad and I am thinking, what have I done wrong? Have I not eaten right? What, you, know, you, you ask yourself every question when you're facing crisis, especially in your health. And three stories, two stories actually, in the word of God, because I'd put it there for years, started bubbling up in my spirit, right as I was crying pouring my heart out to God, not even knowing how to pray. Two stories came to my mind. The first was when Martha and Mary go out to Jesus. Lazarus is dead. And they go to Jesus. He's coming to their home. He's late. He was supposed to be there early. He didn't come when they thought. You ever have those moments with God? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you here? Where are you, God? Why am I not important to you, God? Why aren't you coming? Some of you have been praying those prayers. You've been saying, God's not listening to me. He must listen to Lynette. She's been righteous. She, no, God is doing something amazing that we can't always see. And so I'm thinking about Mary and Martha. And they go out, and Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, oh, this won't end in death. This happened, that glory might come to my father. And I'm remembering that story. It's just coming back to me. And right after that, I'm remembering the story about the man born blind from birth. 
and he's sitting on the side of the road and he's crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither, but this happened, that glory might come to my father. Two stories popping up in my spirit, right, in minutes, I mean, just as fast as that. And then I hear the, the spirit say to me, Lynette, your story, my glory. I'm like, Lord, my story? No, not this story. He said, my story, your story, my glory. And for the weeks to come, as I was just walking through this desert, this valley of the shadow of death, I kept hearing the Lord say, your story, my glory, your story, my glory. And some of you know our story. When, when we were able to adopt our beautiful miracle twins, we did a little video that we showed in our churches. It's been sent around the world now. It's been seen by well over a million people. It started going viral of how God brought us twin daughters on Christmas morning. And as the video was going viral and we're counting the views and it's just popping up on Vimeo and we're just shocked at it. And the Lord, I could feel him smiling. And he said, see, Lynette, your story, my glory. See, our prayer life and our reading the scripture life is like a marathon. It's different than running a 5K. We used to run three miles every year at ORU twice a year, and you could pretty much not run all year and make it through the three mile, especially when you're in your 20s. But you can't do that for a marathon. And this life is a marathon. And so we're going to pray. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to eat it when we're not hungry for it. We're going to feed on it. And then we're going to do the next insurance policy. And that is we're going to choose our friends wisely. Amen. We're going to pick people carefully. I was looking at statistics this week for something I'm doing in the corporate world on just how many relationships can one person manage and it was really surprising when you look at it, it. They put it in categories like how many family members, how many close friends, how many acquaintances, how many people um, in your social circles. And I think it came out to one person can, can have this many people that they know. I think it was like 400, 500 or something like that. But I'm thinking about in a social media world, we are constantly bombarded by people's stories. And do you ever get lost in someone else's story? Often I'll think, I'm so lost in other people's story. What about my kids? What are my kids doing today? What do they need prayer for? What do they? And then more importantly, who are the people that I'm letting into my inner circle? Who are the people that are in my life? Did you know some friendships are seasonal? Some friendships are seasonal. You might have the best buddy you've ever had in high school. But you're getting to college, you're getting serious about your walk with God, you're getting serious about building a business or whatever you're doing. And that buddy, that friend, they never seem to get it. And while you don't need to reject them, maybe we need to allocate our time to a different group of people. We talk at this church all the time about getting in a, getting in a group, getting in a, a, a fellowship with people who are gonna, you don't even have to know them going in, but for the season you're in, they're your team. Who does God want on your team right now? I give it thought. I give it concentration. I was on a run in, uh, right in the middle of COVID when it started, and I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me one day, and he said, I'm going to start talking to you about your friendships. I've got a handful of people that are wonderful people, and you're going to love them forever, but they're going to take more of a back seat in your life right now. And I thought, that's so strange. And he said, because the grace that you need for going to your next place is going to demand a new circle. 
wow, I'm glad he told me that. Because a couple things started happening and I was getting sad about it and he just said, I told you it was gonna come, Lynette. Let it go, let it go, move on, get those people. How do you know if you've got the right friends? They spill out with encouragement. They spill out with faith. When I got so sick of praying for my own prayer requests, do you ever get sick of praying for your own prayer requests? I mean, praying until I was 42 that I'd find a husband and I'm just so tired of the prayer request. Yet my best friend, Tony, with 10 children, and a busy life, every time I called her, I'd say, I'm sorry, I just had a bad blind date. I had a lot of those. <laughs> and I'm so sorry to bother you because I need prayer again, I'm just so discouraged. And she said, Lynette, don't ever not call me. I'm here for you as long as it takes. Those are the kind of friends we need. I just get the sense that some of us need to be willing to let go. Be willing to pull in new relationships that are gonna challenge us to go deeper. They're kingdom-minded. They're kingdom-minded. And then next, so we focus on prayer. We read the word more. We go deeper. We make sure we got the right people in our lives that are challenging us and pushing us and cheering for us. And then the last thing we do, and this, is, this may sound like a flip, because those three are about our choices. But now we're gonna get focused on other people, and here's the last insurance policy, is we choose to engage with others. Why is that important? Because when we're living our lives for a bigger purpose, just like we heard about the Dream Center and the, all they're doing there, and we're volunteering, and this is a church that does a lot of that, so perhaps I'm speaking to a lot of people that are, it's like preaching to the choir, but let me tell you why we choose to engage, not just in programs, but in people every day. Because when we're engaging with other people, we gotta keep our own life right. There was a situation a number of years ago where I, in my single years, felt like I was getting a little bit too emotionally attached to someone I was working with. And my girlfriends in my group said to me one night, they said, now Lynette, here's what you're gonna do. Tomorrow morning, you're gonna write an email to this person, and you're gonna tell him that you're sorry, but you're gonna need to cut off all communication. And I was like, that seems a little severe. And they're like, oh no, you're gonna do that. You're gonna do that. And you're gonna tell us tomorrow or in a week from now when we get back together that you did that. And so I'm wrestling with this after I leave the group that night and I'm praying and I'm just like, Lord, because nothing had happened. It wasn't, we hadn't even ever had a conversation, but I could just feel the vulnerability in my life as a single woman in the desert for a long time. And I'm praying through it and I'm wrestling with God. And he, it's like he pulled back the window and he showed me something. He said, Lynette, all those young girls that you've been preaching to at ORU and I do seminars and workshops on contentment in singleness and you know all my favorite subjects and all these things that now I'm just grateful that I had what I had. But at the time it was tough, yet I'm out there preaching and preaching to myself and doing these things. And, but now he's pulling back the curtain and he said, you remember all those young women? who tell you all the time that because you're holding out, Lynette, I'm gonna hold out for the best. He said, don't think about what you're giving up. Think about them. Focus on them. See, we don't live unto ourselves. We live for those that God wants us to engage with. And so we just simply choose to engage every day, all day long. I started riding the subways when I moved to New York City. And, the Lord, and I had about a 40-minute subway ride, and the Lord said to me, I want you to begin to pray for these people on the subways. I'm gonna show you when you need to have conversations and when you need to step forward. I lived in this tiny little apartment, an old 
brownstone in New York City, and our, the bathroom had a vent. And the, the weird thing about it was that I could hear my neighbor's bathroom. I mean, it was like we were in the same bathroom. This, this young single girl, and I had not met her yet, and a bit of time had gone on, and people in my building had told me that she'd had one or two suicide attempts, and the ambulance would come, and so I knew she was troubled, and I knew she had issues, and, and I kept hearing her answering machine through the bathroom going off. We had answering machines that were literal machines back then. Some of us in the room still have those. It's fine. And... And I could keep hearing her voice on the answering machine. Hello, this is so-and-so. If you're calling about renting the apartment, you can reach me at blah, blah, blah. It's a one-bedroom, et cetera, et cetera. And so I thought, oh, she must be trying to get a roommate. So I'm down at one of the markets on the street, and I see this bouquet of flowers. And I thought, I'm going to buy some flowers for, for her. I felt awkward. I thought, oh, this is kind of weird. By the way, that's how you usually feel before you start engaging with someone. Don't know what we're doing they might think I'm too bold or forward or whatever. I bought the flowers. I knocked on her door. I was kind of nervous. I said, hi, I'm your neighbor just down the hall. I'm sorry we haven't met yet. She's like, hi. I said, hey, are you renting your apartment? She goes, yeah, in fact, I am. I said, well, I thought you might want to have some pretty flowers to put on the table. And she's like, oh. And she was just so moved and so touched by that. And sure enough, a week or so later, she's knocking on my door. Can I talk to you about something? And I get to know her, find out her family story. That's what I always start with. Tell me your story. People love to tell their stories. When we get in taxis or Ubers in New York City, the first question, I know within the first 30 seconds, my husband's going to say, hey, where are you from? Because the whole world lives in New York City. And we choose to engage, and so she and I became friends and kind of knew each other, and she'd knock on my door, and one day she came in, and she sat down, and she unloaded everything. She said, my mom was a witch. She put curses on me. I don't know how to cope. I don't know how to deal with it. We chatted. I shared things with her. It became a couple-year relationship, and on the day I moved out of that apartment, she walked in, and she sat down, and she said, Lynette, you're my angel. You're my angel. I've always wondered if God really cared about me. And when I met you, I knew he had an angel for me. See, we never know until we ask and until we engage. When we're engaged in the work of God and we're reaching out, there is something so exciting and so adventurous. In all my years of singleness, I realized that if I could just pour into other people, I would hardly be paying attention to what I was lacking. There's a scripture in Ecclesiastics, I love it, it says, for the gift of God is contentment and work, I'm paraphrasing, and he said, for the righteous, God gives them joy and contentment and fulfillment in their work. They hardly take thought for the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. That's what it means to engage and just, we proactively engage. So I'm working in New York City. I meet a young woman and a, and a guy that are working on my team. I found out she'd had a lot of different bosses. She wasn't really too excited that I was gonna be her new boss. She'd had a lot of them, and I just simply said, tell me your story. How long you been here at the firm, Deloitte and Touche? What do you care about? She started explaining that she's in a group, and, and her husband's in a group, and they live in New Jersey, and, and she, and I could tell from what she was saying, it was kind of like a new age group, and, and so I felt a burden for her, but I didn't know what to do, and so about a week or two later, I'm over at the World Trade Center in the Barnes & Noble, and I, my eye goes across the shelf where there are John Eldridge books. 
two books that had impacted my life. One's The Sacred Romance, which is really good about how God pursues us. And the other was Wild at Heart, which was for men. And I'm standing there and I feel this unction, this sense, that's how the Holy Spirit speaks, saying, buy that book for Sandra, my coworker, and get that book for her husband, who I've never met. I have no idea who this man is. I'm like, again, I'm like, really, God? That's just like kind of awkward. But I, I went ahead and got the books I take them back after lunch, and I'm like, uh, Sandra, I was, you know, I told her the story. I said, this is one of my favorite books. You might enjoy it. I give her the copy of the book, Sacred Romance, and I said, and I thought maybe Jerome might like this book. And she goes, well, thank you. That is so kind. See, people are so rarely invested in, in a busy culture, in a busy place. And we just pause for a minute to hear from the Lord. And when we're reading the word and we're praying regularly, then we're part of this whole ecosystem of God. And so a week or two later, she comes in. She goes, Lynette, I bought that same book, Sacred Romance, for my twin sister, Jackie. We're going to read it together. I said, that's so amazing. Pretty soon they finished the book. She goes, we finished the book. What should we read next? She said, I, I talks a lot about the Bible in there. I've, I've just really not ever read the Bible. I grew up Catholic. What should I read? And I said, why don't you read the book of John? So she, she starts reading the book of John. And whenever, whatever Sandra's reading, Jackie's reading. She comes in one day. She goes, Lynette, what's the deal with the red letters? <laughs> I was like, that's, you know, you explain it to That's Jesus speaking. She goes, I love that. She finishes John. She goes, what should I read next? I said, why don't you read the book of Acts? She comes in a couple weeks later, Lynette, this Holy Spirit thing, what is that? What is that? And I explained it to her, and she goes, I love it. What should I read next? I gave her a book on the Holy Spirit. It keeps going on and on. Then she comes in one day, and she goes, Lynette, Jerome is reading that book you gave him. And she said, you know, for the first time in our marriage the other night, we got down on our knees and we prayed. And... I was just getting shocked. And so, so she said to me, can we come to your church sometime? And, they, and she comes to our church and it goes on and on and on. And I eventually left Deloitte and we stayed friends all these years. And about two years after that, she and Jerome came to church one night. We went out to dinner with them, Ron and I and Jerome and Sandra. And Jerome said, I love that book so much that I bought 150 copies of that book, Wild at Heart. I've taken all my men's group through it. We're going to go away for a retreat. It goes on and on and on and on. Listen to the nudge and engage. Listen to the nudge and engage. When I showed up at Deloitte to work in New York City, I was walking into the office. They didn't have my name on the list. They finally find me. I'm walking through the office. I see all these beautiful views of the downtown Manhattan because all these windowed offices in Jersey City right across the Hudson River. And I'm so excited. I'm like, I'm in New York. I'm doing my dream. And, and they take me to my desk. It wasn't a windowed office. It was a cubicle. And it was kind of, yeah, I was laughing about it too. And, and it was kind of dirty and some coffee cups and some hairs on the desk. And it, it was nasty. And... Worse yet, it was right by the fax machine. Now, this was when we had, like, fax machines, not, couldn't get it on our, our laptops or whatever, fax machine. And so here I am, I'm trying to work really hard, and people just come up, and they're running a fax, and they just stand there. They're literally, like, this close to my desk, and they're standing there, and that's what we do. We wait for the fax to come in. And I'm like, God, really? Like, why can't I have these window offices? And then I feel this thing about, I need to engage with these people. 
Maybe this is a setup. And so I just start asking them, hey, Kevin, how you doing today? Hey, Kevin, I've never heard your story. What's your story? How'd you get to New York? How do you, and they, he opens up, I really want to be an actor, but I'm working at Deloitte to make some money. I'm like, that's so cool. And then another person's coming up, and I'm getting to know the whole office just through the fax machine. Well, fast forward two years later when the Twin Towers fell in 9-11, and many of these people were in that office watching the whole thing unfold just across the river, scared beyond words that they were going to be next. And now, by this time, I had moved to a, a window office. The Lord had given me a promotion. And these same people were no longer at the fax machine, but they're at my door. They're saying, how are you doing this, Lynette? How are you coming to work and not scared? I can't ride the subways. I can't barely get up in the morning. I think I'm leaving New York. See, every time we engage with people, it's a setup for something bigger than ourselves. And this adventure of choosing to engage, and God does it a certain way with me, God will do it a certain way with you. Just a certain way, however you do it. My mom loves to hand little, little dollar bills to children in restaurants. You, you might have children here and have received one of my mom's little hand, handouts. I know everybody's going to want to start sitting next to my mom. But that's her way, and she tells the story, and she shares it, and all of us have our ways. My husband, when he asks an Uber driver where they're from, and they say, I'm from Uzbekistan, he says, what's your heart language? What, what do you call it? And he pulls up his app on his phone. That's the Jesus film. And if you pull up the Jesus film on your phone, you plug in the name of the language, the film will pop up in that language. And he'll pop it up, and he'll say, can you listen to something for a minute? And he'll put the phone over, and they'll hear the beginning of the movie in their language. And every time, they light up. And he says, would you like to hear the movie? Would you like a copy of the movie, the most watched movie ever in history? And they're like, well, sure. He said, what's your email? I'm going to send it to you. Over and over and over again. See, God will give you tools. God will give you tools. I love tools. It might be books. It might be something you do that you carry, that you give. God will show you what fits you. Susie Taylor and I were talking this morning. I love my friend Susie Taylor. She's out there. She's a real estate broker. But guess what? There are tools that go with that profession that you can offer when you're meeting a family. Is that just a family to buy a home? Or is it like Susie and her partner Sandy Redmond think God sent those people to us? See, that's how we do it, and it gets more and more exciting. There is nothing like engaging with God for others. It'll keep you occupied with gladness of heart. When 9-11 came around this year, it was our 20th anniversary in New York, and so Ron and I decided to put together a compilation of stories of people who've had miracles. We didn't want to write a Christian book, per se. We wanted to write a book that anyone that's a believer could hand to other people. And this is the book called Miracles in Manhattan. We've got those available today if you want one. We've been handing these out all over New York City. Now it's gone all over the world. People are picking it up saying, I can't put it down. It's Daryl Strawberry, the famous baseball player, who talks about how no cover on Sports Illustrated compared to when he changed his life for God. And miracle story after miracle story, you hand someone a book and say, hey, let me know what you think about this. I can't put it down. And God gives us tools. We use miracles in Manhattan all the time. And God gave me another tool during my years at Deloitte. I had Sandra. I had other people working with me. And I found that everybody seemed to be looking for their purpose. I even myself needed more defined purpose. Not purpose in its general terms, but purpose in definition. 
How do you write a purpose statement for your life? How do you connect it to the job you have now? We work with so many young people. They come to New York. They want to make it on Broadway. Does that mean until they make it, if they ever do, that they can't be living their purpose? No. Purpose is now. And so God downloads this whole system to me 20 years ago about how to help people write their purpose statement. I've been delivering it all over the country and all over the world. It's not a Christian program per se, but I know that when they start asking the question, why? Because purpose answers, why am I here? When someone starts asking that question, it's going to lead them to the only one who has the answer. And so you start asking the question, why? And then purpose answers the question, why? Mission answers the question, what? What am I going to do? You have many missions, but one purpose. It's like your GPS destination. You put it in your GPS. You can take five different paths to get to your purpose. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It's time to have definition for your purpose. And it's my passion to put this purpose program in the hands of everybody out there who's wondering why they're here. It's my tool. God gave it to me. And I decided two years ago, I'm ready to start giving it to the world. And so I went in the studio and I recorded it into a, like a coaching program. And it's now on my website. We've got a QR code I'll put up here. Do you know somebody that's looking for their purpose? You may know yours, but they don't. I'd love for you to try this purpose program. Tell someone you know, hey, you're thinking about resigning your job. You're graduating from school and don't know where you're going next. Let's get serious about our purpose. Do you want to do it with me? Let's do it together. Tools to help people engage. It's my passion that as the great resignation is hitting all the world, where over 50% of people say, I'm going to change jobs in the next year. Changing jobs is great, but if you don't know why you're here, you're going to be going around the wilderness one more time. We are people of purpose and we need tools. And what tools does God want to give you to engage with the world? When I started out doing my purpose program at Deloitte, Deloitte said, we're going to let you do a, a, a pilot. What will we call it? I was in a meeting. I didn't know. I said, leading on purpose. I mean, really, as you're innovating with God, you won't know what you're doing it always feels awkward. It always feels inadequate. But we choose to engage. And as God opens up the door and the wind of the Holy Spirit hits, you'll be equipped. You'll be extended. You'll be expanded. I want to pray for you today. Whatever your job is, whatever prayers you're praying that you feel have hit a wall, whatever challenges you've been enduring. Maybe it's that child you've been praying for. No matter what you send them, they never read it. No matter what song you text them, they never listen to it. And you're feeling discouraged and you're wondering, is that child ever going to turn? We're going to keep praying. Your prayer life is a marathon and we don't give up. We keep cheering each other on. We keep telling each other, you can do it. We keep coming into agreement. When Ron and I pulled out of our home on that Saturday morning, we both stopped in the car and we, took, we raised out our hands and we said, God, you brought us this house. Guard it. Keep it. Seems we pray it every time and whatever happens. But that day, the bloodline worked. What bloodlines are you drawing around your household, your marriage, your job, your children, your boss? Are you praying for that difficult boss? 
the one who never gets you, the one who never is kind, the one who never has a word of encouragement, the most dysfunctional person you've ever known and you're working for him. And when God doesn't deliver you, you wonder why. You keep praying. Maybe you just need a dose of encouragement this morning. Why don't we stand to our feet and I'm gonna pray as we begin to close here and our, our band is gonna come up in a minute. These altars are gonna be open. Can we just come into agreement with you for whatever you're just sick of praying for yourself? Maybe you've never had the power of the Holy Spirit in your prayer life. Maybe you've needed someone to pray for you, to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, to pray power prayers that break yokes even more. We wanna pray for you. Whatever it is, our altars are holy places and we're gonna be down here to come into agreement. But let me have a prayer for you as we close. Lord God, I wanna thank you for every person in the room today. I'm gonna ask you, Holy Spirit, to keep nudging us into the things we need to change, nudging us into the things where we need to reach. God, put a spotlight on those people in our workplace, in our neighborhood, our neighbors, our friends. Maybe it's a police officer like we heard. Whoever it is, God, this week, here we are, send us, use us. Some of you have been waiting to feel qualified. The Lord is saying to you this morning, I have qualified you. It is not about you, it's about me. Step out and I will meet you there. Step in and I will give you what you need to say. Don't worry about what you'll say, I'm with you, I'm for you. Lord Jesus, we trust you now. We're here, send us, use us. Such a privilege to be in the kingdom of God. Lord, we're gonna trust you now in Jesus' name, amen. Keep saying to yourself what I said that day. My story, your glory. My story, your glory. And it will be glory forevermore. I love you guys. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful to be with you.